Well, good morning. If you're joining us online, thanks for joining us also. So I, I, need, a, I need a show of hands. Who learned to drive before anti-lock brakes? How many of you learned to drive before anti-lock brakes? Thank you. Okay, so I did too. That's how I learned. And I grew up, or at least in high school, I learned in Chicago area. So that means we're on uh, some icy roads. So when you begin, again, no anti-lock brakes, when you begin to skid on the ice, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to pump your brakes. But that is counterintuitive, at least, and, and we had driver's ed, and I had an instructor. If you begin to slide, you pump your brakes. But I, that first time I start sliding, and what do I do? I'm just pushing all that much harder. And how am I doing as far as stopping? Not, not at all. Hey, take it off, and you got to well, it's counterintuitive. If I want to stop, I step on the brake. Why do I share that? We live in a culture that says there's a lot to offer here. And if you want to max out, you need to live for you. You need to get all there is. You, 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 you focus on you. But the creator of our universe said something very, very different. He said, you die to self. You don't sweat you. You focus on me. You focus on others. I want us to think about that today, and in particularly, what's wrong? What's so wrong with living for self? So if you've got a Bible, if you open it to 1 Samuel chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 12, and we're going to go all the way through the verse 36, wrestling with this question. What's so wrong? What's so wrong with living for self? Now, if you haven't been with us, we are going to be going through the books of 1 and Samuel. We understand that they are um, Israel's transition from a loose federation of states to living under a king. And there'll be three main characters in there. So there'll be the prophet Samuel, first king Saul, and the second one, David. And we started this book in, in obscurity. We started with a, a guy named Elkanah, and he had two wives. One of them was barren. Her name was Hannah. And she was grieved because she couldn't conceive a child. The other wife had conceived a bunch. And uh, she would taunt Hannah. And, and in her brokenness, she came before the Lord and said, Lord, if, if you'll give me a son, I will give him back to you. We understand in, in this culture that children were important because it was an agricultural society, so you need workers. Uh, kids were your 401k. Uh, they, in retirement, yeah, your kids would care for you. And she said, I'm going to give all this up. I'm going to give this first child back to you. And in fact, she had a child. His name was Samuel, and she followed through. Um, she dedicated him to the Lord. Once she weaned him, he's in the temple. Last week, we looked at Hannah's prayer of thanksgiving as she exalted the Lord. And today, we go back to our narrative, and we're going to talk about a contrast between two families. Eli, in the line of priests, has two sons. And then we'll have Hannah and her son, Samuel. And we said often narrative doesn't so much tell as it does show. It's going to show us in this contrast why we need to be living for God. So verse 12 starts this way. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. And right there there's a connection with Hannah. Uh, when she was longing for a child, she poured her heart out before the Lord and was intense in prayer. And Eli the priest thought she was drunk and I said, no, I'm not drunk. I'm not a worthless woman. That's what she said in chapter 1, verse 16. That's the same word here. Now, the sons of Eli were worthless men. Why? 
They did not know the Lord. Now, they knew of the Lord, but they weren't in relationship with him. And they certainly weren't going to let the Lord direct their lives. They weren't going to let him speak in to their behavior. They were going to do as they wanted. So it says they did not know the Lord and the customs of the priest with the people. When any man was offering a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand. Then he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. Thus they did in Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. So the people would come and bring their sacrifice, and God would use part of this sacrifice, the liver and the fat and other parts, to feed the Levites, the priests. But these guys thought, yeah, 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 I, I, that's not, I, I don't like that. So I'm going to take a, a fork and thrust it in there, three prong, I'm going to send somebody in, anything that comes up is mine. Hey, you're, you can't do that. God has set this sacrifice up and it's had rules for it. And you know what these sons are saying? I don't care. I don't care. I, I'm going to take what I want and I'm going to do what I want. You know, sometimes we bristle when God speaks into our lives. Oh, we're saved. We've come to faith. Yeah, I got my... But God wants to speak into our lives very specifically. If you've heard my story, you know I came to faith in college. Um, I was involved in a dorm Bible study. It was very different from what I'd grown up with, and, and, and I had to make a decision. I thought, I, I, February of my freshman year, I'm all in. I'm buying the Bible as the word I got, and I'm, I'm going to follow that, God, as he reveals himself in there. Okay. So then I get involved in a campus ministry called Campus Crusade, and I get in a staff member's group, and they were committed, committed to developing you, and then every semester they'd sit and they'd go through strengths and weaknesses, and when they got to weaknesses, I thought, yeah, I know where we're starting. Sarcasm. See, I was a wise-cracking jock, and I had honed this attitude in high school, and I thought I was just funny, 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 and witty, 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 and they told me, you're not funny, 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 and you're not witty, witty, witty. And I thought, oh, they're just jealous. They're just jealous because I'm so... And so we, we did this dance for several semesters, but let me tell you where they stopped me in my tracks with sarcasm. Uh, they quoted me and pointed to me to Ephesians 4.29. It says, let no unwholesome word, that's no harmful word, no mean-spirited word, let, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, that's, that's encouragement, that, that's building up, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace, remember grace is an empowering, it will give grace to those who hear. Now, I would make fun of you, and I'd make fun of your clothes, and I'd make fun of your, your major, and I'd make fun of your mama, and I'd make fun of the diary, but just joking, just joking, of course. But I thought, what I'm saying doesn't line up with this rubric. And what I had decided as a freshman was, the word of God was exactly that. And I had to bring my life in line with that. So I needed to change. And what I later found out is, in my sarcasm, what I was using people to do is I was putting them down to put myself up. That's kind of a sad way to live. Now let me leave that rubric up there. Here's why I bring it up. I look on social media. I look on different things. And the stuff Christians are saying and posting about others, especially as it comes to politics, makes me blanch. It makes me step back. How can you, as a Jesus follower, with that as your rubric, 
be calling these kind of people that kind of name and tearing into them because they have a different political position than you do. So, Andrew, you, you talking to Republicans or Democrats or Independents? Yep. Yep, I am. And sometimes I, these people also I think, is your allegiance greater to your political party than it is to Jesus? Because you're not enhancing his reputation in the way you're communicating. You can make your own judgment, but I wouldn't get into it on social media. I just wouldn't. I don't see anything. Take it for what it's worth. But whether in our speech or what we write, that's our rubric. God is stepping into our lives in every detail like how you communicate. Or what you watch, what kind of media you take in. So I come to faith and I started sending this attending this church, and there's a Sunday school class, and it's read by, led by a guy who's a Christian therapist. And one day he said, I think Dallas and Dynasty. Now, Dallas and Dynasty were popular shows at, when I was going to college, and they were pushing the edge on sensuality and morality. If you don't know what they are, you can Google them. You can find out all about them. But this guy says, I think Dallas and Dynasty are making voyeurs out of all of us. And I think, what's a voyeur? And he anticipates my question. He says, a voyeur is somebody else who looks in Somebody who looks in on other people's private moments, intimate moments. And he said, often when they look in, they imagine themselves in that place. That, huh, I, I, I hadn't thought about that. Maybe I need to rethink what I'm watching, what I'm taking in. Well, that was a long time ago, folks, when I was in college. It, it's only gotten raunchier from there. Now, Perhaps you've heard, um, and Dallas was a very t- popular TV show, and uh, J.R. Ewing was the leader of the family. It was played by Larry Hagman, and they ended one season with J.R. getting shot. And the teaser all there was, who shot J.R.? You know what? I still don't know who shot J.R. I mean, I don't know, and I'm okay. It's okay that I missed those shows. You will be okay not watching your show. God wants to speak in to the details of our lives. And as followers of Jesus, we're called to submit. Well, these brothers ain't buying it, verse 15. Also, before they burned the fat, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, give the priest meat for roasting, as he will not take boiled meat from you, only raw. If the man said to him, They must surely burn the fat first and then take as much as you desire. Then he would say, no, but you shall give it to me now, and if not, I will take it by force. So here's the gig. When the meat was brought to sacrifice, it was boiled. But these price, they they didn't like the taste of boiled meat. So I said, give it to me, it's raw, and I'm going to roast it. And somebody comes along and said, you're violating God. That's not a good idea. And they said, I don't care. And if you don't give me the meat, raw, I will take it by force. Let me ask you a question. Let us consider it. Do you have anybody who can speak truth into your life? Do you have anybody who say, you know, you're, you're, walking a, you're, you're going a bad path here. You, you might need to consider. You may not just need to spend time there. You may need, not need to be watching that. You may not need to be eating at that. You may not need to be going to the bar at that late at night. You may not. Does anybody have credibility, will you give people the right to speak 
concern and truth into your life. It's not very American because, like, we're independent, right? Nobody's telling us what to do. We're free. We're free. Well, somebody's trying to speak to these sons, and they ain't hearing it. We'll see how that plays out for them. I talked about the contrast. Here we go. In, um, well, let me read verse 17. It says, Now, the sin of the young men was great before the Lord, for the men despised the offering of the Lord. That, that's a, you don't have to have a lot of theological training to say the Lord's view of you is that you're despising his offering. That, that's not going to play well. We'll see how bad it gets. Now we get to the contrast, verse 18. Now Samuel was ministering before the Lord as a boy wearing a linen ephod. He's just a boy, but note the contrast. These sons, even though they grew up with their daddy as a priest, they want nothing to do with the Lord and his word. Samuel, he's as a lad, he's ministering before the Lord. And his mother would make him a little robe and bring it to him from year to year when she would come up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. So again, her son is in the temple. She's seen him once a year, giving up the benefits of a child. Then Eli would bless Elkanah, that's the husband, and his wife and say, may the Lord give you children from this woman in a place of the one she dedicated to the Lord, and they went to their own home. Verse 21, the Lord visited Hannah, and she conceived and gave birth to three sons and two daughters And the boy Samuel grew before the Lord. Note the contrast. Samuel's growing before the Lord. These guys are diminishing. I want to be careful. We don't make our relationship with God transactional. I gave up one child. He gave me five. It's not a five-for-one deal. But I will say this. You cannot out-give. You cannot out-sacrifice the Lord. How? You're going to be repaid? I don't know. That's what we're called to believe. Well, now we contrast back to Eli. Uh, Now, Eli was very old. And he heard all that his sons were doing to all Israel and how they lay with women who served at the doorway of the tent of meeting. So not only are they taken from the sacrifice, but they're taken from women that aren't their wives. And and again, God has stipulations on marriage and intimacy. Uh, They don't care. Should that surprise us? That's their character. I'll take what I want. Nobody tells me what to do. Okay. We'll see how that flies. So Eli steps into this mess, and he comes with two questions. The first one is in verse 23. He said to them, why do you do such things, the evil things that I hear from all these people? Know, my sons, for the report is not good which I hear the Lord's people circulating. So Eli knows. He's been hearing it. And apparently, he's not doing much. If one man, here comes the second question, sins against another, God will mediate for him. But if a man sins against the Lord... Who can intercede for him? That's a rhetorical question. No one. But, surprise, surprise, they would not listen to the voice of their father. Second time, somebody's tried to speak truth, a word of warning into them. They won't hear it. Let me ask one more time. Do you have anybody? Do you have a group of people? This is why we're Blake's talking about community. This is why we're talking about small groups. Do you have anybody who can speak truth in your life? That starts with building relationship. It starts with building trust. If we don't have those kind of people in our lives, we're all care, can all be self-deceived. We're walking a dangerous road. Here's what the end of verse 25 says to these people, to these sons who wouldn't listen to Another person, they wouldn't listen to the Father. For the Lord desired to put them to death. 
That's where it's going for these sons. Now, the, uh, the contrast, verse 26. Now, the boy Samuel, again, he's just a lad, was growing in stature and in favor both with the Lord and with men. Now, let me tell you where it's going for Samuel. By the time we get to the end of chapter 3, they're going to say from Dan to Beersheba, from north to south in Israel, everyone recognized that Samuel was the voice of the Lord. Verse 27 says this, Then a man of God came to Eli and said to him, and I want to stop there, and I want to set the context for a man of God showing up. So you're driving on 27th, and you're going, and you're going, and you pass a police officer who's parked on a side street, and he pulls out, and he turns his lights up on, and he pulls in by, behind you, and you pull over, and he pulls over, and he gets out of his car, and he starts to approach you. Do you think he's coming to award you accommodation for safe driving? And by the way, we've given, we're giving away $25 Amazon gift cards to safe drivers? Is, it, is that what you think? No, most of us know this is probably not good news. Hey, I clocked you going 42 and a 30. Maybe we get a warning, probably we're getting a ticket. We're going to have to pay a fine or we're going to have to take the stop class or whatever we've got to do. Okay, when the man of God shows up unannounced, that's the direction this is going. But this isn't about I clocked you going 42 and a 30. It's a whole lot more serious than that. Now, there's a man of God who came to Eli and said, thus says the Lord. He's going to come with two questions. Again, these are rhetorical questions. Did I, did I not indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt in bondage to Pharaoh's house? You go all the way back. His father is Aaron, who with Moses... Help lead the people out. And this man of God saying, in my sovereignty, you are a part of this lineage, a lineage of priests that will serve me. My choice, nothing you did to earn that. Second question, verse 28, did I not choose them from all the tribes of Israel to be my priests, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to carry an ephod before me, and did I give to the house of your father and all, all the fire offerings of the sons of Israel? Twelve tribes of Israel, one was chosen to be priest, Levi. Eli, you and your sons, in my sovereignty, were chosen. So let me ask you, most of us, not all of us here, but most of us were born in the United States. And I get it, you got frustrations with the country, I do too. But there's a lot worse places to live. We didn't earn our birth in this country. We were sovereignly given it by God. Many of you were born into, not perfect, but Christian families, solid families. You didn't earn that. You didn't earn that. That's the sovereign goodness of God. What are you and what am I doing with that goodness? Because these guys aren't doing well with it. Verse 29. Why do you kick at my sacrifice and at my offering, which I have commanded in my dwelling? And Eli... Honor your sons above me by making yourselves fat with the choicest of every offering of my people, Israel. Look, those of us who have kids, they're a gift from God. And we're to cherish them and we're to love them. But we are never, ever, ever, ever to honor them above God. Therefore, verse 30, the Lord God of Israel declares, I did indeed say that your house and the house of your father should walk before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me. 
For those who honor me, I will honor, and those who despise me will be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming when I will break your strength and the strength of your father's house so that not be an old man in your house. And you will see the distress of my dwelling in spite of all the good that I do for Israel. And an old man will not be in your house forever. Yes, yet I will not cut off every man of yours from my altar so that your eyes will fail from weeping and your soul grieve. And all the increase of your house will die in the prime of life. I am removing the hedge of protection. You're not going to have people that live into old age. And I'm moving on from you as a line of priests. And we'll see that play out in the coming chapters. Verse 34, just so you know, this isn't a chance happening. This will be the sign to you which will come concerning your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. On the same day, both of them will die. We'll see, you will see that this is God. Sovereign God at work. But, he says, verse 35, I will raise up myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart and in my soul. And I will build him an enduring house and he will walk before my anointed always. Everyone who is left in your house will come down and bow down to him for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread and say, please assign me to one of the priest's office so that I may eat a piece of bread. The immediate fulfillment of this will be Samuel. Come from an obscure family. Be raised up to be understood to be the voice of God, the prophet of God. Look, let's be careful of assuming on our privilege. We grew up in a Christian family. We grew up here. We grew up there. God doesn't need us. God's not obligated to us for anything. Do I believe in the security of the believer? I absolutely do. But let's never presume upon that salvation. God's expectation is his followers that will be submitted to him. You know, John the Baptist, when... uh, he began his public ministry as the forerunner of Jesus. Well, all the, uh, all the religious leaders came out to him because they were concerned he's popular. And John, ever the, the winsome fellow, uh, says to these Pharisees, he says uh, in Matthew 3, you brood of vipers. Now, that's not a great way to win friends and influence people. And he warns them to f- repent. And flee from the coming of death. But then he said something very interesting. And don't say our father is Abraham. Don't, don't say my position shields me. Because he said, God can raise up children of Abraham from the stones. God's not beholden to any one of us. We're a privileged people. We've been called by Christ. But let's not presume upon that privilege. So we're, we're looking at this contrast. we got... Eli and two sons living for themselves, doing what they want. No one tells them anything. Hannah and Samuel submit to the Lord. And we're asking the question, what's wrong with living for self? Here's what I'd say. God lowers those people who live for self and raises up those people who live for him. The person that says, I'm, I'm in charge on my own account. I'm the master of my ship, master of my own fate. God lowers those people. And he raises up people who live for him. You know, you know, we've talked this series, we've called it Reliant. And we've intentionally taken the self and gone, put a line through it. That, that's our culture. You're self-reliant. We want to, parents, we want to raise self-reliant children. God says, I'm not pleased with self-reliant people. I want people who are reliant on me. And that is a message that, a thread that will come all the way through the books of First and Second Samuel. 
We have a culture that pushes us and says, we got so much for you. You better be self. You better. And, and God says, you want fullness of life? You better start by being reliant on me. So why, why, do I, why do we bring this up? Why do we keep talking about this? Well, let me see if some of you can help me out. Back when I was a kid, there were uh, two major fast food. There was McDonald's and Burger King. So some of you, see if you can help me out. McDonald's said, you deserve a what today? You deserve a break today. You sure do. You deserve a break today. Their competitor was Burger King, and Burger King said what? Have it. Have it your way. You betcha. Hold the pickle. Hold the lettuce. Special orders don't upset us. Now, I'm considering singing that, but I need Blake to let me on the worship team before that happens. And he's taking a harder line. So if you could... uh, Maybe politic him for me. But you know, that was the culture back then. Have it your way. You deserve a break today. You know what Target says today? Expect more than ever before. Expect more than ever before. And I talk to people who apply at Target, and you know what they want in their employees? They want employees that are committed to an, an, an amazing customer experience. You... The customer are the center of the world. It is about you. And we buy it. And we think there's life there, and, and it's not. So who do I point you to if, if we're stuck in this kind of culture? I want you to point you to Jesus. Now, at his uh, arrest, this is recorded in John 18, the folks come in, and Jesus said, who are you looking for? And uh, 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 the guy said, uh, well, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And, and Jesus says, I am. And with that statement, he knocked everybody down. Just the declaration of I am, he knocked everybody down. Jesus could have walked, but he didn't. Later, he gets arrested, and Peter whips out his sword, and Jesus said, put that hummer away. I could call a legion of angels if I wanted to. So he hangs on the cross in Mark 15, 29 to 32. And this is what goes on. They were passing by. Those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads and saying, Ha! You who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes, were mocking him among themselves, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let this Christ, the King of Israel, tongue-in-cheek, now come down from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him were also insulting him. Can you imagine if you're Jesus on the cross, fully human? You could come down. You got these low lives. After I'm spitting on you, beating you, say, yeah, you saved yourself, you can't do it. What kept Jesus on the cross? He was relying on the Father. The Father had a mission for him. And that was, even though he's being mocked, he stayed on the cross. And he died. First out of submission to the Father, then for you and for me. That we could live differently. So what would I tell you in this culture that says it's all about you, amazing customer experience, you deserve a break today? I point you to Jesus. Man, our Savior modeled it. You live for God.
and not for self. You know, one of the places we've seen the, the growth of the focus on self is people taking selfies. You got the cell phone, you take the picture. Well, this, is a, this number's a little dated, but in 2020, the New York Post had a, an article. And they recorded that 259 people had died taking a selfie. They, I mean, they, what, and what they said, they didn't go through them all, but what they said is, you know, you want a really good selfie. So you, so you get real close to the edge and you're, well, look at this. And poop, over you go. 259 people so consumed with self. Got to get the post, got to get the likes, got to get the reposts that they lost their lives. That's what living for self will do for you and for me. Jesus shows us a very different way. What's the problem with living for self? God lowers the man or woman who lives for self, but raises up the man or woman who would live for him. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we're grateful for your word. And it's challenging sometimes, and it's, it's breaking, and it's convicting. Um, we thank you for the, the truth and the reality that um, Eli and his sons walked one path, and Hannah and her son Samuel walked a different one. And, and Lord, uh, we would say we, we want to follow Hannah and Samuel, but we live in a culture that's pushing us, pushing us, pushing us to live for self. So Jesus, would you make yourself real? Would you make yourself known? And that, that spirit that kept you on the cross as people were mocking you, would that be true in our lives? Would our reliance on you, our submission to you, trump everything else? Empower us to this end, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.